Shalom Aleichem, and welcome to Torah Talks Chazak's Tuesday night programs with a special guest tonight. We have with us all the way from Detroit, we have Rabbi Levi Burnham. Welcome, Rabbi. How are you doing? Thank the good Lord. Baruch Hashem, doing great. I'm glad <laughs> to be on with you. You're like a giant in the field. What an <laughs> honor. What a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, honor, privilege, pleasure is all ours, and tonight we're going to be discussing the road to building vibrant communities. Uh, this is a great topic. Uh, I know a lot of uh, McCarvin rabbis, uh, you know, community leaders that are always asking for advice. How do we get our community to start being on the map and, you know, getting more people? Okay, so we're going to delve into tonight's topic. It's going to be really exciting. But before we do so, Rabbi, could you give our audience a little bit more of a background about yourself and the great work you're involved with? Sure. So um, I grew up in Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, here in the Midwest, uh, but I'm a little bit of a wandering Jew. So when I was Almost 12 years old, my family moved to Eretz Yisrael. We moved to Israel and made Aliyah. Nice. I lived in Israel for four years. I was in uh, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, and 10th grade. I actually dropped out of school in 10th grade. I went to work in a matzah factory. It's also fun. Very important, formative part of my life. I spent many, many months making matzahs with a bunch of other dropouts because who else could work for like four months a year? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great experience. Then I came back to America. Uh, I finished out my yeshiva high school education here. I learned in Shayashiv um, for nine years while I was also pursuing a, a degree in social work. I have an MSW from uh, Yeshiva University's Wurzweiler School of Social Work. I, uh, I also taught at Yeshiva Darche Torah in Farakwe High School for nine years. And that was actually one of those jobs that I, literally Akash Barakwe just dropped it on my lap. Like I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't expecting it. Out of the blue, three weeks before the school year, I get a call like, hey, are you interested in teaching high school? And I had zero interest, zero thought, not even a, a dream. But Hashem dropped it in my lap and that ended up being like a really, really formative experience in my life because it taught me a lot about interacting with people and caring for people and preparing because teaching is all about preparing. And it really changed the whole trajectory of my life. And like, that is one of those examples where you just know that God is running the world because whatever you have planned, he's going to send you what you're going to do. Um, which is also how I got to Detroit. <laughs> I had no dream of ever being in Detroit. I was living in New York. I had all my friends in New York. Life was amazing. Um, and then I had a good friend of mine who lived here in Detroit. His name is Yoni Torgo. He was friends of mine in Camp Simcha. We were counselors together. And then he was a friend of mine in Yeshiva. And he just kept calling me all the time and telling me to move out to Detroit. And, and I just, I really had no dream like of ever moved to Detroit, really. But then again, Hashem runs the world. He kept saying, he, he, I finally said to him, I said, look, Yoni, you can't even call me anymore and ask me to move to Detroit. You can call me every single day and say, hey, what's up, lady? I love you. You're the man. You can say it every day, but you can't ask me, can you move to Detroit? Not happening. If I ever think about leaving Detroit, I'm going to give you a call. Okay. And then, then you could pitch Detroit to me. Sorry, if, if, sorry, if everything about leaving New York. Anyway, so long story short, I actually got offered a job uh, working with the Sephardic community in, um, in Great Neck. Nice. I was offered a job working. Yeah. So Shout out to Great Neck. Yeah, the, the real Persian community. And I went out there for a Shabbos. And I, I know in the, in the Yeshivish world, we call it a Prava, where you check out a place for Shabbos. I don't know what it's called in the Sephardic world or the Persian world, whatever it was. But I went out there. I had an amazing time. It was such a great community. But ultimately, I didn't feel it was the right move for me at the time. But my wife says, you know, you got to give Yoni a call. And Yoni said, oh, you were looking at a job as a rabbi? Calls me back two hours later. We have a job for you as a rabbi in Detroit. I came out. I saw the community. I fell in love with it. And 16 years later... Here I am in Detroit, still working with the amazing people here in Detroit, and it's it's been it's been a, an amazing ride. So that's a little bit about me. 
Wow, amazing, unbelievable. That's a roller coaster a little bit, but yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's funny. Like, you know, you get a degree in the social worker. I don't really work much as a social worker, I don't do clinical therapy. I love, I love writing. Um, so I do a lot of writing, Baruch Hashem, and speaking. I enjoy speaking, you know, whatever gifts God gives you in your bag, you try to pull out. So writing and speaking and whatnot. But uh, other than that, I'm pretty passionate about my kids, cryptocurrencies, snowboarding, and that's about it. <laughs> okay, very interesting, Rabbi. So as we said before, tonight's topic is the road to building vibrant communities. Uh, as you just mentioned, you have extensive work in the Kiev world uh, through Partners Detroit and many other institutions you're involved with. Uh, what is the best approach, in your opinion, Rabbi, to inspire someone unaffiliated with an organizational context, Rabbi? Okay, so when you're dealing with unaffiliated Jews, and at this point, the vast majority of Jews are unaffiliated, right? So even though you have Jews who may be tenuously affiliated with a synagogue or a temple that they may go to for high holidays, and today after the pandemic where, you know, the, all the high holiday services at these synagogues and temples have been on Zoom, I mean, we're talking about the vast majority of people are really just not connected with a community at all. Again, they may have a very, very tenuous, maybe they still have a kid who needs to do bar and bat mitzvah, so they're still planning on doing it through a temple or a synagogue, but, you know, they're not deeply connected. What I, what I often will say is there's almost no Jews walking around saying, hmm, if only there was a rabbi who would come and teach me Torah. Wow, um, I'm just, uh, that's all I'm missing in life right now is a rabbi who will come and teach me Torah. There's almost nobody saying that. That's just not the world that we live in right now. But what there is a lot of, a, an enormous amount of, is Jews who are walking around and saying, I don't feel connected to a community. I feel like I'm floating out there all on my own right now. I don't feel like people understand me. I don't know where I'm at from like a religious perspective. I don't know what I believe in. And I wish there was a community that I could attach myself to. I wish I, I, could, wish I could, could feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself. So many of the big, you know, synagogues and temples in the outside movements, you know, the Reform Conservative, they got 3,000 families, 5,000 families. It's like they've got a staff of rabbis, but people, most people don't feel deeply connected to a rabbi or even more importantly, to a community, to their peers. There's no Asayelacha Rav and there's no Kanelacha Chaver. There's no making for yourself a rabbi or a friend in that context of Judaism. So I've got my neighbors and my friends and my bowling league and whatever it is. But other than that, I kind of feel unmoored and unhinged to a certain degree. You know, a rabbi of mine once told me an amazing idea. A Rav Shmuel Brazil was this rabbi. He said, in, in, when God tells Abraham, the ultimate, you know, the, the, the beginning of his test, Lech Lecha, I want you to go, I want you to leave behind everything. So he tells him, if you do this, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to, I'm going to, your, your name will be great. And Rashi brings down the Medrash there that explains I'm going to make you great that the people will say thousands of years from now, Abraham. when they still think of God, they will think of God, the God of Abraham. And, and your name will be, and your family will be great. They'll say, Eloke Yitzchak. And I will make your name abundant. They'll say, Eloke Yaakov. Yachol chosmim bekulam. You might think they're going to end the bracha with everybody. Tamalomar bracha. We're only going to end off by saying, Magen Abraham. We're not going to say, Magen Abraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. Now the question is, if every father wants everything for his children and his grandchildren. The same way Avram would be so proud to hear that his children would be so great that people will say, okay, Yitzchak, and that his grandchild would be so great that people will say, okay, Yaakov, he would also want that we would end up the bracha 
that Bakol Chosman, we should finish off with everybody. We should say, Baruch Atah Hashem again, Abraham, Yitzchak Yaakov. So what kind of message is it when Hashem says to Abraham, it's only going to be the bracha, the, chastim, the chatima of the bracha is going to be, only be with you. I, I don't want that. I want the chatima to be with everybody. So my rabbi said over an amazing idea that really encapsulates our generation. He said, what was Avram? Avram is the one who's called Avraham Ha'ivri. He's called the, 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 the Ivri. What does that mean? Me'ever Lanar, on the other side of the river. The whole world was on one side. He was all alone, alone on the other side. He didn't have anybody to look to for support. He had to go at it all by himself, right? They did a, a study, a fascinating study one time in, in a college psychology um, section where they, the professor had the whole class prime. They would call somebody in from outside, a random person walking down the hall. And on the board in the classroom, there were two lines. And the one on the bottom was slightly but noticeably bigger than the one on the top. And they would call in this random innocent person say, excuse me, we're just running, we're conducting an experiment. Can you please tell us which line is bigger, the top or the bottom? And the person will look at the line and say, yeah, the bottom. No, 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 really, please, no, come on. Uh, um, the, the bottom. Now, at this point, the class who have been trained, they start laughing. <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> you can't see? What's wrong with you? They all start, and he's like, no, no, the bottom. But at this point, the whole class, are you crazy? What's wrong with you? Put on your glasses. You can't see. They start making fun of him. 90 plus percent of people who were called into the room changed their opinion because the peer pressure was too much. They were all alone in a room and everyone's saying, you must be crazy. You can't see what's wrong with you. But then they repeated the same exact experiment. And this time they took in two people from outside. They would call in two random people who didn't know each other, two people from the hallway. Excuse me, can you come in? Excuse me, can you come in? Bring them into the room, do the same experiment. Which one is longer? Which one is, which line is bigger? The bottom one? No, really, come on. What's wrong with you? You can't see. But this time, because they had one other person to look at and be like, we're not crazy, right? The, the bottom one is bigger, right? And these people are, they must be nuts. Because they had the support of just one other person there, they 90% plus did not capitulate. So again, when you're all by yourself, 90 plus percent of people just throw in the towel. I can't do this. But when you have even one other person to be Ish the Reo Yomar Chazak, as you guys well know, <laughs> if you have just one other person who could say that, then you could hold on and you could stay strong. Says Hashem to Avram Avinu, in the Chatima of the Galut, at the end of this long and bitter exile, there's going to come a time when everybody's going to feel a sense of existential angst and loneliness. We're going to feel deeply alone. The world's going to be so connected. You're going to have a thousand friends on Facebook and Instagram. And Snapchat, da, 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 da. They'll have every kind of connection possible, but you'll feel so deeply alone. Says Hashem, don't worry. In the Chatima of the Galut, when people will feel that deep sense of ivri, of being alone, Magen Avraham is going to come to the forefront. The same Magen Avraham that protected you and gave you the ability to hold strong is going to give you that ability. So I really feel, I mean, there's, there's books written about this. There's a famous book called Bowling Alone, which talks about how there's more bowling going on today, but there's less leagues. And it basically talks about how we have come, become a society that on, on one hand is so connected, but on the other hand is so bifurcated and so alone. And people are desperately seeking a sense of community, a sense of being desired and wanted to be part of something bigger than them. And they're not getting it. So I think Today, the real road to engaging people who are unaffiliated is not just by saying, here, I'm going to give you a class that's going to blow your mind. It's let me build for you a community. Let me build for you a sense of, of belonging to a place and to an organization and to a society that 
people care about you and they want to speak to you. We don't, we almost never have any class that's just like a class and then it's done. There's always time before for schmoozing and time after and food and connection because we so deeply value the time for people to connect. So that's, I think, really, when, when we talk about building vibrant communities, the focus has to be on building communities. You know, Avram Avinu, what did he do? He built a tent, right? You build a tent. You build a place where people can come together and feel like they're part of something together. It's not just, I'm catering to you and I'm catering to you. It's I'm catering to the broader mass. I love it when we see people from our community, they go on vacations together now. They become such close friends through their interactions around Torah that they're now they're going on vacations together. We had we have we have a Sunday morning minion, so uh, it's you know it's, it's it's a beginner's minion. We explain everything and we do we read everything in unison. It, it's a very beautiful minion. We had four guys. They were on vacation together. They zoomed in from their vacation with their tefillin and their talit, <laughs> and they're all standing next to each other. They all came to one hotel room and they're all standing next because they feel part of the community. So it's an amazing thing. We have we have a guy who moved out of Detroit. He moved to Dallas probably. Gotta be like eight years by now. He still comes even on, on Zoom. Now that we have Zoom, he comes on our Zooms. He feels so connected. Every time he comes back to town, he calls. First thing he knows he's coming back to town. He's he he schedules. He's a CEO of a major company. He schedules his trips to Detroit. He's in the automotive supply business, so he's got to come into Detroit frequently because the big three automotive whole schedule will say, "When are we having a men's club?" You know, like, he, you know, he's, he wants to come in around our, our program. It's, it's an amazing thing. So it's all about building communities, vibrant communities where people feel that they're cared and they're loved for. And that's what Yiddishkeit is. Ish l'reyehu yomar chazak. Rabbi, you give me such chizuk, such inspiration. I feel it through the Zoom. <laughs> Unbelievable energy. And that's how you build a community, 100%, by, by connecting everyone, bringing them together, schmoozing. and Unbelievable. Great stuff. Good stuff, Rabbi. So, so let me ask you a question. Some feel that uh, let's leave the outreach, the care to the professionals. You know, they know what they're doing. Do you think that people who are not trained uh, or they're not rabbis and don't have any experience interacting from uh, people of uh, secular backgrounds, do they have a place trying to uh, change agents for greater Jewish growth to have other people uh, to be inspired? What do you think? So I think that, first of all, I think it's a great question because definitely there are people who try to engage as rabbis when they're not rabbis and do a lot of damage. Mm. I have seen that a lot, right? And it can be very, very damaging. You decide that you're going to come in. There are so many delicate, delicate things that rabbis have to work with when you're working with families. You know, I'll, I'll give an example. Let's say somebody is not halachically Jewish and they, re- they were raised their whole life thinking they're halachically Jewish, but they're not. That's a super delicate thing. Oh, yeah. How do you say something to somebody? When do you say something to somebody? So you can have people who are professionals in the field and they're dancing around this for a very long time, very strategically. And then some dude off the street who's like, I, I'm not trained, I'm not a rabbi, but I got to tell them the truth the way it is. You know, like, L'shem Shemayim, you know, I'm going to do this for God. And they just go in, like, barrel in. You don't, you don't, you think you're really a Jew. You're not a Jew. You know, like, and, and boom, <laughs> they, can just, they can just destroy someone, they destroy the rest of the family. There's so much, there's so much harm that can be done in somebody engaging sometimes in a way that is not appropriate. That being said, there is so much value that every Jew can add to every other Jew, as long as everybody knows where they lie on the spectrum. Meaning, 
we have we have over here something that just happened. It started a couple of years ago. I have a colleague of mine named Rabbi Shmuley Wolf. He moved here from Dallas. He started making sports leagues. Okay, so we have basketball, hockey, tennis. Okay, the way the leagues work is it's roughly fifty people from the Orthodox community, fifty people from the secular community. Yeah, these are people who would not come for a shear. They're not coming to a class. They're not coming for a Shabbat dinner, but a sports league. And actually, he says to them, <laughs> one of the ways he gets them in, he says, if you ever felt like you're great at sports, but you couldn't win at anything because you're a Yid, <laughs> here's your chance. You know? <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the day, you know, Jews make, I don't know if you know the stat, but Jews make up 50% of NFL team owners, about 33% of NBA and NHL team owners. But we don't make up a lot of the NFL. We don't make up a lot of the NBA. That's never been our strong suit, right? So, you know, there's so many Jews who love sports, but they're just not really good when it comes to, you know, Division right. II basketball. So these, he makes sports leagues. And what ends up happening is there's this incredible interaction going on here. A person who's a ben Torah, right? A person who grows up learning and living Torah. There's a, there's a menschlichkeit to him. The Torah makes him into an incredible human being. And there's a kindness to him and a sensitivity. There's the way he talks, the way he carries himself on the court. You know what I'm saying? Like other people are just cursing and yelling and angry and, and he's not. And he, he, somebody looks at that and says, wow, there's something attractive about this. There's nothing more powerful to inspire someone to want to become a Torah observant Yid than to see a Shabbos table of a healthy functioning from family. It's amazing. We have kids. They're not on their phones. They're not looking at their phones underneath the table. They're there and they're smiling and they're happy and they're polite and they're nice. And the Shabbos table is glowing and the candle and the food and the singing and the Zmirot and the family. There's nothing more powerful to be a inspiration for somebody to embrace Torah than Torah living. So I think it's so important for people who are not rabbis to get involved. Now, obviously, it's really important for them also to know you're getting involved as a layperson, which means that often you should say, if someone asks you a question that you don't feel comfortable answering, or you don't really know the answer well, you know what you say to the other? You, so you, 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 got, you invite somebody over for sh- Shabbos dinner or whatever it is, or you met the guy playing in your basketball league and you start interacting with him. And now he says to you, Rabbi, and he throws out like one of these really tough questions. The best thing you could do is instead of trying to barf out an answer that really doesn't make any sense and might end up being offensive, just say, wow, you know, that is such a great question. Let's go ask a rabbi together. Let's go ask a rabbi together. Now you're showing him humility. You're showing him you don't think you know all the answers to every question. And you're actually going to get a much better answer that will probably end up not only inspiring the person who asked the question, but you as well. You know, so like there's such a there's such a it's important for people to know in the space what your role is. There's a chaver, there's a chaver, and there's a rav. Those are both important components. And even within the Jewish outreach framework, it's important to have both people who are rabbis and people who are friends who are more steeped in Torah. But of course, everyone's got to know where they are and what their role is. And that's the way it works best. Amazing. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff, Rabbi. Very important. So uh, it says in uh, Ethics of Our Fathers in Perkei Avot, Hillel says, uh, you know, be from among the students of Aaron, one who loves peace, one who pursues peace, one who loves others and brings them closer to Torah. So how does giving the sense of caring community bring people closer to the Torah? How does that work? 
Okay, how does that work? So I'll tell you a great line that I heard from one of my Rabbanim, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Halpern. Rabbi Halpern from Chayashiv. He once said such a great line to me, and it's such an important fundamental. He said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much, how you, much care. you care. It's about caring. Exactly. Meaning if you don't care about somebody, you can be the most brilliant person and you have all these incredible proofs and ideas and you're going to share and you're going to, you're going to, I'm going to prove to you that God exists. <laughs> Who cares? How many people, like, that's an amazing thing about it. You know, it's interesting also, you work with different communities. There's like Russian communities, Russian Jewish communities, Sephardic Jewish communities, you know, you know, regular standard European Jewish communities, you know, Lithuanian Jewish communities. Um, so let's say, for example, when you're dealing with Russians, I feel like Russians often will fight you a lot more when you're presenting them with a the proof. They'll go, to, they'll, go to, they'll go to bat with you. I mean, they'll, they'll fight off with you because if they don't believe in what you're saying, they're going to fight with you big time. Why? Because if you can actually prove them right, they feel very committed to the truth. So my brother, for example, my brother worked in, in, on campus at University of Maryland for many years, and he did a famous program called the Maimonides Program. And at the end, there's like a graduation. And at the graduation, this Russian kid gets up and he's like, if I learned anything in this semester of Maimonides, I learned the following. Either A, the world is just one big, massive, cosmic accident, in which case there's no real morality, no real ethics, and it's all just a bunch of people bumping around in the dark trying to figure stuff out. Or B, there's a creator for this world, and he gave us a roadmap for what we have to do, in which case we probably have a lot of work to do. I think I have a lot of work to do. And he goes and sits down. Right? Now, that's, the, that's a beautiful person. He's a person who's committed to the truth, and he fought all semester. When they tried to give him any kind of proof, he was fighting it off. The standard, I feel like the standard American Jew today you can give them all the proofs in the world. Be like, oh, yeah, wow, that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Are you changing your life? I'm sure you're, you must be, you're planning on going home now and changing your whole life, right? Because I proved to you that there's a God. Uh, no, I think I'm good. You know, like, so, <laughs> it just doesn't, like, people don't feel what we call like meshubah. They don't feel subjugated to the truth. There's, we live in a world where there's multi-truths and there's, everything is true and there's no real truth. And we live in a world of such gray areas that, okay, fine, Rabbi, you believe your thing, I believe my thing, we can agree to disagree. So at the end of the day, whatever you can, you can't prove somebody that they should want to change their lives. It just doesn't work. The only thing you can do is inspire somebody to want to change their lives because they are emotionally connected. Again, I don't want to say there's no one out there who's got absolute intellectual integrity, but I feel like it's rare today for the person who's just going to be given an intellectual proof of something and then change his whole life on a dime. It's very rare. I think a lot more of what it is, is the way you bring somebody in. It's like Avram Avinu. Let's go back to Avram Avinu. How did Avram Avinu bring people in? He brought them into his tent and he fed them a good meal. He gave them a lot to eat and a lot to drink. And they said, all right, let's bench now. You know. So yeah. it was like, let me first show you how much I care about you. I'm standing over. Like he's like literally this incredible Avram three days after he got his bris mila. He's in pain and suffering, but he's running after the guests. He's bringing them into his home. He's making them entire like, you know, tongues of cow with, with, with mustard. And then he's standing on top of them and he's feeding them. At that point, the person's just like, wow, I want to be connected to this guy. I want to be connected to this person. And this person says, but you know what I get? 
I get all my inspiration from the one God who created me and created my tent and created my cows and the, and the mustard I just gave you. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, I think I want to be connected to that too. <laughs> so, it's such an important point because the way you connect with people is by showing them how much you truly care. I'm, I'm, I went to Shayashiv. That's the yeshiva I went to. So, like, you know, I'm a big hugger. When we got, we have an, we have an event on Thursday nights. We call it men's club. So it's at the end of Thursday night, you know, back when people were going to college, you know, unfortunately this phenomenon, so many people, they look back at their college days as the best days of their life. Oh yeah, the college days. Those were the days. I'm like, you're so pathetic. If you're 45 years old, you've got three kids. And all you can think about is your college days when you were too drunk to even know what day it was. And that's like the glory days of your life. And ever since then, it's been downhill. Kapara, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately people remember those days like back in the college days thursday night was a big bar night you know people were like the whole week they're working hard and we're heading towards the weekend so what we do is thursday night we have what we call men's clubs we get together at eight o'clock and first we have food so sometimes it's chalant and kugel and salsa and chips and sometimes it's chinese or whatever it is you know we bring out a whole nice food and everyone, for the first like 35 minutes, everyone's 40 minutes, everyone's just hanging out and schmoozing. Again, remember, it's really important to create community. So for the first 40 minutes, everyone just kind of hanging out and schmoozing. And then we go, we sit down on the couches. Every week, someone sponsors a Lachaim, and we'll try three of a kind. So one week, we'll try three unique bourbons or three unique tequilas, you know. So we'll pass them around, Lachaim, and then I start talking. I'll say, Devrei Torah, and then we'll pass around another one. And, we'll another. and it ends up being, like, I'll give a shear for about 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Amazingly, even after we're done, the guys usually just stick around. They don't go anywhere. Like they're just enjoying themselves. They're, they're happy to be there. They're happy to be part of this. So you know, it, it, it's things like this that 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 it's it's like Avram Avinu. Like bring them in, feed them a meal, hang out with them. And when I'm thinking, when I when I'm watching as people are coming in, I make sure that everybody gets a hug from me every day, every Thursday night. Everyone gets a hug from me. And I'm thinking, just people are starving for human warmth. People are starving for that connection like it's unbelievable you know just like just like i said i just keep coming back to it because <laughs> people need that so much in today's generation and especially in a world where social media is constantly trying to divide us and make us angry at people and make us these people and those these people are crazy and these people are wacky and these people are dangerous you just got to get to a place where you're the guy the most important thing i think also is that People should see their rabbi as having the best time at life, right? You're not going to inspire people by saying to them, guess what? When you die, you're going to go to Olam Abba and it's going to be amazing. By the way, there's no food, no drink, nothing there, but you're going to, it's going to be a spiritual pleasure. It's going to be great. That's a little bit of a tough sell. But when someone sees the rabbi's always happy, the rabbi's leave Simcha Mish, Tamid. Yeah. Um, when, 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 when the person sees that the, the rabbi is happy, the rabbi is enjoying life, the rabbi is embracing me, the rabbi is, that's like also such an important part. That's how you should be me, tell me, love everybody, hug everybody, interact with everybody. When you see somebody, hey, how's it going? How are the kids? What's going on? You just, by giving people attention. There's a guy who moved to my town in Detroit. He moved here from, from Denver. He was a rabbi in Denver. He moved here to work with the school. His name is Rabbi Amzel. He became probably the most popular guy in the entire Detroit community, like in six months. Because no matter what, when he sees you, he's like, oh, Rabbi Leib, how are you doing? And when he looks at you, you know he cares and he's asking and he's serious and he's sincere. 
You do that. That's what it's like. That's what Avram Avinu did. That's what Aaron did. Aaron loved everybody. Aaron cared about everybody. Aaron wanted everyone to be good. That's 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 what you got to be, and that's how you bring people close to Torah because that's what Hashem wants. What does Hashem want from everybody? Hashem is the ultimate matin, right? Hashem is the ultimate beneficent God. All He does all day is does good for other people. So if you want to emulate God, you want to be like God. Just be focused all the time on doing good for other people. And when people see that you're serious about that, you care about them, you care about their job, and you care about their marriages, you care about their children, you care about how they're doing, you follow up. He mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that he's having trouble with something and you remember it and you reach out to him. Hey, what's going on? We talked about this. How's that going? Just wanted to check in. The rabbi really cares. He really remembers. So these are the kind of things that you, you know, that, that thing is really the way, the way to bring people close to God. The closer we can try to be like God, who's a total giver, 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 the more God's light can shine through us and people will get attracted to that because people are always attracted to God's light. Very important, 100%, Rabbi. Love the chizuk, love the inspiration. So, 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 Rabbi, you've been in the field of the Jewish outreach, uh, you know, Kiev world for over 16 years now, which is uh, definitely amazing. And uh, unfortunately, it's longer than the average duration. You know, many people we've seen, they get involved and unfortunately they lose that spark. Rabbi, you didn't lose any spark. You're full of energy. <laughs> You're full of uh, positivity. So, uh, so continue strong, Rabbi. Change the world. Make, make the world a better place. Do what you got to do. Let's end off with one final message, Rabbi, that you could leave us with our audience and uh, we'll take it from there. Continue changing the world, Rabbi. I love it. Okay, so final message. Um, we live in an incredible time. There are truths that are visible through the Torah that have never been, in my opinion, as clear. Let's give a simple example. Shabbos. Now, if, if Shabbos, we, we all are familiar with the concept that Hashem tells Moshe, I've got a special gift in my treasure house, and it's called Shabbos, and I'm going to give it to the Jewish people. Now, I want to say, I, 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 didn't, I didn't live throughout the last 2,500 years, the last 3,334 oh, yeah, years yeah. the Torah was given at Sinai. Yeah, I didn't live. My soul was probably around since then, but uh, I would venture to say that never in history has Shabbos been a greater gift than today. Meaning, if you lived in, in, in the year, you know, 500 BCE, before the Common Era, right? You lived in the time of the, let's say, in the time of the Bayat Rishon or in the time of Bayat Shani. You lived in the time of the Rishonim, right? You lived in the year 1100. You were a Jewish farmer living in Provence in France in the 1100s. Okay, so what was your life like? You know, you, you got up in the morning, maybe you went to synagogue and you davened, you maybe learned a little bit, then you went out into the field and you plowed and you came home for lunch and you went back out into the field and you plowed and then the, the, the sun came down and you went home and you went to sleep. You didn't really have money to keep your house lit all night. Again, even just the, the average person didn't have the money to keep their house lit at night. So you went to bed. The Gemara even talks about in Brachot, how like, you know, the ani goes in to eat. The poor person would go in to eat a little bit earlier because he didn't have enough money for a, even a candle. So he had to make sure he ate his finished his dinner by the time it got dark. And then he went to bed. You know, like, life was over. Today, we live in a world where you're on 24 7 365. There is no breaks. Even 150, 200 years ago, okay, if someone wanted to reach you, they could call you. 100 years ago, they can call you on a telephone. 200 years ago, they couldn't even call you on a telephone. They'd send you a telegram, maybe. You know, but like, then maybe how often were you on the phone? And I remember when I was a kid, like my sister was on the phone all the time. I thought like, wow. But that had nothing to do with the world of smartphones where people literally are on the phone all the time. 
Today, to have a Shabbos where you can unplug, what a gift. It's never been a greater gift. Oh, yeah. The Torah world right now is so full of, of, of so many different things. Number one, Shabbos is such a great, great gift. Hashem has blessed the, the Jewish community right now with such prosperity and so much, there's such an abundance of enjoyable ways to engage in your Judaism. Just like so many events you can go to, the food is good and the rabbis are good and the lighting is good. Everything, everything is amazing. So the most important thing that we can remember is La Yehudim, right now coming up against Perm, right now. La Yehudim Haisa Ora Vesimcha Vesasimikar. The Jewish people had Ora Zutora Vesimcha and Simcha. Again, Chazal talk about being Yom Tov, but Lev Samech Mishnah Tamid, when a person's happy, Lev Tov Mishnah Tamid. That's what the Pasuk says. Lev Tov Mishnah Tamid. You can have Yom Tov all the time. Joy is so important. It's so important that we have this joy with us at all times that we live with positivity, that we instill the positivity, that we bring the positivity out of the Torah. The Torah is so positive. Bringing that positivity into our homes, into our communities, into everybody around us. And if we have that, again, we experience at the time of the Gulav Purim such incredible light and such incredible joy. And if we bring the light of Torah and the joy of living with Torah in a joyous way into our homes and lives, we will see the ultimate gulab. Amen. Amen. Rabbi Laibi Bernheim Shlita, what an amazing inspiration with Chizuk. Uh, I, I, I literally felt it through the Zoom. I, I usually <laughs> you have to be in person, you know, that's what the rules are usually. But uh, continue doing the great work you're doing for Claudia for the Jewish people. And uh, we wanted to just say thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, we want to thank you for all that you do and for the team Chazak mm-hmm. and your incredible Robbie over there who's helped me out and reached out Shout to out me. Shout out to Robbie, yes. Team. yes. Hashem should give you the strength and the, and the chizuk to keep going deep into the future and doing what you do for Klai Yisrael. Amen. We want to remind our listeners every single Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, special guest, Timely Torah Talks. Special shout out and thank you to Torah Anytime. Special thank you to dailygiving.org or .com, .com. Uh, amazing, a dollar a day goes very, very far away. And uh, anyone that uh, has any suggestions of rabbis that haven't been on our program yet, feel free to email us at info at chazak.org. We want to remind everyone that this is the season, this is the time to plug kids from public schools to you. That's what we do. One of the main programs that Chazak has of the various different uh, programs that we do is the Yeshiva Placement Division. Make sure to reach out, out to us literally anytime, 718-285-9132. 7825-9132. Yeshikach, once again, Rabbi, really appreciate the inspiration. And we'll also see you very soon with the Gula Shlema, with the complete redemption. It should come speedily in our days. Amen. <laughs>